Like at McDonald's, did you know you can order a quarter pounder patty and you can order two or three, you can order whatever you want. But in a quarter pounder box, they'll just give you the patties. And it's an a la carte item, you can order at McDonald's. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. Thanks very much for joining me back here for another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I'm glad you're here. I appreciate the fact that you're taking the time and you added this podcast to your list to listen to today. Let's make sure this is a good one. I don't want you to be here for nothing. Let's start off by talking about my last two weeks. I'd love to hear about your last two weeks, but you did not share that with me yet, so I will share with you my last two weeks. One of the first things I did after this last podcast was to get my annual COVID and flu shots. I don't think they want you to call them COVID boosters anymore. I think they want you just to be in the routine of calling it an annual COVID shot just like your annual flu shot. Now, I am a big believer of vaccines, and I will not debate that with anyone. Personal choice, do what you want. But for me, I I always try and get all the vaccines that I'm eligible for. And I got this COVID and flu vaccine, got them in the same arm at the same time. And my arm was a little bit achy that day after, maybe day and a half, the arm was a little achy. And I noticed the next morning, I did wake up with a little bit of a headache, but it was uh, mild and really no other symptoms. Now, you might hear a little frogginess in my voice currently, and that is because the fall allergies that I get uh, seem to be in full swing. I do tend to get a mold and leaf, uh, wet moldy leaf type allergy. And walking in the woods, I encounter a lot of that. They're kicking in a little bit. I do take a daily uh, Claritin, the no-name version from Walmart. But I do take one of those every day. And most of the time, those do me really well. I take them February. uh, No, I start around March. I think I start around March 1st each year. And then I stop on January 1st. So I try not to take any of those Claritin pills between the months of January and February just to give myself a little break. I have no scientific reason for doing that. It's just maybe give myself a little bit of a break. Anyway, that's what I do. And back when I used to have to cut my own grass before we moved into this HOA townhouse where they cut the grass for you, when I had to cut my own grass, sometimes I would have to take a Benadryl afterwards because it just felt like I had maybe sandpaper in my eyes and whatnot. So I am bothered by allergies from time to time, but usually my daily Claritin does me just fine. So if you hear a little bit of 
congestion or whatever. That's what that is. And I have a feeling over the podcast, it is not contagious. So I don't think you have anything to worry about unless you have some special type of speaker that also puts out molecules. Uh, I don't think you have anything to worry about. COVID and flu shots are done. Now, I had an interesting conversation while I was talking to my pharmacist when she was getting the two shots ready. And she knows me because I go there, you know, for my medications and whatnot. And I have gone to the same pharmacy now for about three years. And I was talking to her about how my doctor did not object at all when they stopped, when my insurance company stopped my Manjaro. And she's now starting me back on this 500 milligram once a day tablet of metformin. And I was telling my pharmacist how, of course, my blood sugars are back up. And she said, yeah, maybe your doctor isn't the best when it comes to type 2 diabetes. She goes, maybe you should consider seeing an endocrinologist. And I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to talk to an endocrinologist or search for one, find one that takes my insurance in the nearby area, get on their schedule. And I might start going to an endocrinologist. And money-wise, my regular doctor's office copay is $35 and a specialist copay is $40. So for an extra 5 bucks, maybe I should speak to someone who's an expert uh, with type 2 diabetes. So I might start doing that. I'll keep you posted for sure. So like I mentioned, my allergies, I have been getting in some good fall walks. Uh, I took a trip to Arkansas during this two-week period. I was out there for, I guess it was six nights, so almost a week, visiting uh, my daughter and two grandchildren and uh, had a great time out there. And, uh, you know, right now I have to go to Maine to see some of the grandkids. I have to go to Maryland uh, to see other kids and grandkids. And then I have to go to Arkansas to see yet another kid and grandkids. So I get to travel all over the place. The main contingent is moving to Pennsylvania here in just three or four weeks. So I will no longer have to travel to Maine. In fact, I am flying up to Maine on Tuesday which is one day after this comes out. And I will be driving home back to their new home. I'll be driving one of their cars for them so they can all travel together when they make the actual move. I think they're getting professional movers, so they'll be just driving together in their other vehicle. And this way, this one car is out of their way. And they'll be moving back here. I think it's in about three weeks. I'll keep you posted on that. Less traveling for me. But anyway, the trip out to Arkansas was fantastic. I had a lot of good, fun times with the kids and with my daughter, and it's just very enjoyable. Just relaxing when I'm out there, no expectations of having to be entertained or anything like that. Heck, going to Walmart is fun. We had a good time, and I'm looking forward to my next trip out there. I'll be out there again. I try and get out at least every four months. I'll be out there again in February. But now that I'm home, I am finding with this medication change, that I am now needing, once again, to rely on willpower and substitutions. And I can't rely on medication like my Manjaro uh, that I don't take anymore uh, to blunt my hunger or really to help with uh, portion control. While taking the Manjaro, I rarely got hungry. And if I did, it was very easy to eat just a very little amount of food and I could easily pick the right type of food. I didn't have any cravings. All of that is gone. It is now over a month. It is, in fact, 
a week or so short of two months since my insurance company denied the refill of the Manjaro. So, like I say, it's about three and a half weeks now that I've been restarted on metformin. But I got to tell you, it's not working all that great. So I'm taking 500 milligrams once a day. My average glucose reading with my CGM has been 170 for the three weeks since I've started metformin. Back when I was taking Monjaro, my average blood sugar reading was about 118 over a period of a week or two or four, whatever. But this average glucose now with the metformin of 170 puts me well into the type 2 diabetes range again. For seven or eight months, I was below the pre-diabetes range. And now you stop the medication that helps and this is what you get. So in a few days, I'm going to send in a text message or a portal message, whatever you call it, to my doctor. She asked that I let her know what my average reading was after being back on the metformin for 30 days. It's not going to change very much, so about 170, which is, of course, nowhere near where I want to be. The CGM calculates that uh, as being a GMI of 7.6, which is a calculated version of an A1C. I used to take metformin. In fact, a couple of years ago, it was the only medication that I was taking. And then I was taking 1,000 milligrams twice a day. So she restarted me on 500 milligrams once a day. That is one-fourth or 25% of the amount of metformin that I used to be taking. And when I used to take it, the best I could do was an A1C of about 7. And that was with eating almost no carbohydrates. There's really no surprise at, to me at all that with her starting me back on only 25% dose that I used to take, that it's having very little effect at all. Like I said, a GMI of 7.6, an average glucose reading on my CGM of 170 for the past 30 days. I will report that to the doctor here in just a few days. I think technically it's the 20th or 21st of October. That'll be 30 days, a little bit less than a week. And then I report that to her and we'll see what she says. I'm going to request that I start back on the Farsiga because that really, not quite the dramatic effect that the Manjaro had, but nonetheless, the Farsiga helped much more than the Metformin. So I'm going to ask to restart that. Okay, enough about me, enough about those past two weeks. You can tell that I'm eh, a little bit unexcited to be going through this medication change and where it's putting me again, but we will get through it, and like I say, I do believe that this week I'm going to be seeking out an endocrinologist, and I certainly will keep you posted on that. If you've had good experience with an endocrinologist, I know Stephen from Glendale wrote in last week and mentioned how he has a good endocrinologist, but if you've had experiences with an endocrinologist, positive or negative, or if you have experiences that you would like to share with your primary care physician, PCP, share that as well. And of course, just hop over to the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com and click on feedback. And you can share those experiences with me here on the podcast. So let's take a look at the news. This first article here is how to be extra kind to your skin if you have diabetes. And it's saying here, the subtitle is, You'll probably need way more moisturizer than you think. 
Now, the deal with skin, and again, skin on extremities, is that the blood circulation is not great, especially in your extremities, for your skin. That's one of the things that high blood sugar levels damage, and that it can damage nerves and blood vessels, which actually can weaken your skin barrier. It says about 80% of people with type 2 diabetes deal with issues with their skin. But yet, if you don't go to a dermatologist, you often don't talk about your skin at all. And sometimes if you have type 2 diabetes issues, you can have like raw, itchy, painful skin. And it's it's an issue because that if you let infection or some type of injury happen uh, to your feet especially, you might not feel the pain that you would normally feel. So you can have these skin issues and if you look at them, oh, maybe it doesn't look all that great, but hey, it doesn't hurt, right? That's the problem. Things can be very dangerous for someone with type 2 diabetes and the problem is they don't feel the pain. So here's some pieces of advice for dealing with your skin for type 2 diabetes. First of all, it says get in all the cracks and crevices post shower. So really dry off. Really dry your skin. You want skin folds. You want areas, say, between your toes, things like that. You want that all very dry. And as you're doing that, you can also examine to see if you have any skin breaks cracks, things like that, that you need to maybe put something on. And it says here, slather on more moisturizer than you might think you need. And it says, you don't have to look like a greasy chicken thigh right after bathing, but make sure that you do actually use a nice thick creamy moisturizer immediately after bathing and drying off. And find a moisturizer you you like maybe stay away from fragrance fragrances and other added things like that just go for the basics some people swear by coconut oil unrefined extra virgin coconut oil some people really swear by some people use the old the gold standard of vaseline whatever works for you you don't always have to buy the most expensive thing and it stresses here also give your feet regular attention It calls it TLC, Tender Loving Care. You might want to talk to your dermatologist and ask them, hey, is there a particular moisturizer I should use for my feet? Again, they stress this because your feet are something that is A, not close to your face, so you're not often looking at them, and B, because of the disease of type 2 diabetes, you can very easily not notice an issue that's happening down on your feet. So take care of your skin, especially the skin on your feet, and it will last you a long time. Now this next article here is something that I will never experience, but there could be people like you who may experience this. It says how to have the healthiest possible pregnancy when you have type 2 diabetes. And it says that yes, blood sugar probably will go even higher during your pregnancy, but complications aren't necessary. And it says, yeah, naturally, even if you eat all the same things, your blood sugar will rise when you're pregnant. And that's because the baby itself is making hormones, or the fetus, whatever you want to call it, is making hormones that can block the effect of your insulin. All right, so 
you and the baby aren't fighting necessarily, but you have different goals and different outcomes. And it wants to make itself as healthy as possible. And you want to stay healthy uh, at the same time. But having very high blood sugar can be harmful, not only to you, but also to your pregnancy. High blood sugar can affect the growing fetus. It can raise the risk of birth abnormalities. So it's very important to stay in close touch with your doctor, obviously during this time, and also bring up the fact that you have type 2 diabetes and make sure that they are working you through a care program that takes your blood sugar levels into account. Now, speaking of pregnancies, often at the end of a pregnancy we have kids. So this next article is about the kids. It says children with pre-diabetes and obesity might be more likely to progress to diabetes. And again, children with pre-diabetes is a relatively new thing, last few decades. But they have done studies here, and they say that about 7% of pediatric patients, so kids who had prediabetes, turned into full type 2 diabetes over a seven-year period. Definitely kids with high blood sugar, not type 2 diabetes, but that can obviously evolve into type 2 diabetes. And that's typically what happens, because whatever lifestyle or hereditary factors or whatever caused you to have higher than normal blood sugar will continue to act on you and will become worse and worse. It just doesn't level off. In other words, it keeps going unless you're able to make some changes, either through lifestyle, through movement, through what you eat, through medications, whatever. But they're pointing out here that this is especially an issue with kids because think about it. If a kid who's, say, 10, 12, 14 gets diabetes, they're going to have that for their entire life. And their life might be shortened, unfortunately, because of it, if it's not controlled. But if an adult gets type 2 diabetes around the age of 50 or 60, sure, that might impact them for the next 20, 30 years, but less than half their life. So that's why it's important, I think, to have kids not progress from prediabetes and obesity into full-term type 2 diabetes because that just sets them up for a lifetime of issues. So check that out. If you have kids, get their blood sugar checked. Talk to your doctor about that. Consider discussing with a nutritionist if your kids are obese. Do what you can. All right, this next article here is called Red Flag Symptoms of Type 2 Diabetes on Your Nails and when to seek help. So this is similar to the skin we were just talking about. But this is talking about things you can notice in your nails. Now, it does point out in this article that that type 2 diabetes or high blood sugar are not the only things that can cause these issues. But if you see these issues, then make sure you do get your blood sugar checked because it could very well be a sign that your blood sugar is high. It says here, a slight blush at the bottom of the nail is sometimes a symptom of diabetes. If they say other discolorations, white, yellow, green, any type of discoloration or thickening at the end of the nail that spreads gradually to involve the whole nail, which then may become thick and brittle. It can cause the nail to become sharp or break off, or it can dig into neighboring toes. Look for that. Now, it says don't forget about the normal 
symptoms of high blood sugar, and that's usually constant hunger, a lack of energy, fatigue, excessive thirst, frequent urination, blurry vision, pain, tingling, or numbness in your hands or feet. Those are the ones we all know about. But I thought it was interesting here that they're also seeing correlation between issues with your nails on your fingers and toes, how that correlates now with the presence of or the possibility of type 2 diabetes. All right, this last article here is entitled Glucose-Based Targets May Change Treatment for Those with Pre-Diabetes. So now here we're talking about pre-diabetes, and this study looked into enhancing insulin sensitivity through lifestyle changes, and it can stop pre-diabetes from turning into type 2 diabetes, which is really what we're looking for because it's with the higher levels that come along with the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, that's where your kidney and vascular and eyesight issues all really come into being. So pre-diabetes is before that. It's saying your blood sugar is high, but it's not high enough to get the formal designation. And Interestingly enough, pre-diabetes does not have an official medication. Now, sometimes a doctor will prescribe metformin or other medications, but technically speaking, there's no medication, at least according to this article, that is specifically designed to treat pre-diabetes. Most of the medications are designed to type, uh, prevent only type or, or work with um, type 2 diabetes diagnosis. So I thought that was interesting in and of itself. So what's it saying you can do for pre-diabetes here? That's to lower your uh, sugar target. So lower the amount of um, sugar that you take in on um, your daily diet. And it says here in this study, they had, I think, 1,100 participants who were placed on a uh, diet that did not include processed food, that did not include added sugar, And it says here that a third of the participants lost 4% of their weight and were able to lower their blood sugar to where they no longer had prediabetes. Not only did they avoid going to type 2 diabetes with this eating change, reducing the amount of glucose or sugars that you ate, but it also removed their prediabetes as well. So I think that's a good one. Hopefully you enjoyed those news articles. Five good news articles. I've switched up to five now, and I only do this every two weeks. It seems a lot easier to find news articles when you have two weeks to to try and gather them up. I hope that's okay with you with five articles. And again, let me know. Give me your feedback. Uh, Go to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes website, click on Feedback, and let me know what you think about the news section. Do I read too much from the news? Do I not get enough from the news? Am I not getting the kind of articles you would like to hear about? Just let me know. Last episode, I mentioned that this week I wanted to discuss low-carb lunch ideas. In fact, Candy had written in asking what some of the things are that we prepare. And I don't know that we're a good, necessary good example. Um, we're a lot of meat-based type meals. Now, in the wintertime, we do like to do soups and stews. In fact, after I'm done recording here, I'm going to finish up the last of our tortilla soup that we have. And that has a lot of beans in it. It's tomato-based and has some chicken. It's really good. Tortilla soup. 
is one that we like. But let me talk to you here about these lunch ideas. Now, what I did, I went out and looked around and I got 10 ideas if you're eating out, let's say at a fast food a restaurant, and 10 ideas for preparing at home. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. Here are the 10 ideas that I was able to come up with for, let's say, fast food. The first is a grilled chicken sandwich or a salad. Try going for a grilled chicken sandwich, maybe without the bun even, or enjoy a chicken salad with lots of fresh veggies. So I do know, I think our favorite chicken place is Chick-fil-A, and they do have grilled chicken options. They also have chicken soup, which I think is interesting. Soup is mostly water. So by eating a bowl of soup, you're reducing the number of calories you're taking in and therefore the number of carbohydrates rather than if you were to eat like a regular meal that did not include soup. So I think soup's a good option, especially during the winter as things are getting colder. But yeah, you can get a grilled chicken sandwich instead of breaded. How about a lettuce-wrapped burger? You can get, in fact, one restaurant, I forget who it is, but one restaurant, and they did this sort of, I think it's a joke on paleo, but they gave it a straight caveman burger or something like that. But anyway, it's a lettuce-wrapped burger. So instead of having your burger wrapped in a bun, you can have it wrapped in lettuce. And it's just a way to pick it up, which basically is what a bun is. It's just a way to pick it up. Some buns really don't have any taste in them whatsoever. Now, I have also gotten burgers with nothing. Like at McDonald's, did you know you can order a quarter pounder patty? And you can order two or three. You can order whatever you want. But in a quarter pounder box, they'll just give you the patties. And it's an a la carte item. You can order at McDonald's. And I think why they entered it was in case somebody wanted an extra patty on their burger. But you can order just the patties by themselves, which are, and they're only like I don't know a buck twenty, buck thirty a piece for the for just for the patty. So I think that's pretty darn cheap. All right, how about a grilled chicken wrap? Now sometimes you can get a low carb tortilla or a lettuce wrap. You could also, if you want to get a little crazy here, you could bring your own low carb tortilla wrap and maybe use that for your burger if they don't offer lettuce. All right, how about a salad? Uh, simply a, a nice, fresh garden salad with maybe some chicken or shrimp or steak, things like that. Pass on the croutons, pass on the sugary dressings, and you can get a lot of good vegetables and some good protein in a salad. Bunless hot dogs. I've done this before. I've ordered hot dogs and then just used like a third of the bun to pick up the hot dog. And the other, and you know, the bun, I ate a little bit of it or I didn't eat any of it, but a bunless hot dog is a way to go low carb. We talked about chicken sandwiches earlier. You can also get grilled chicken nuggets. I know Chick fil A has this for sure. And they're nuggets, pieces of chicken without the breading. Oh, wow. How about fresh seafood? Maybe grilled fish or shrimp. That's a great low carb choice. Just make sure they're not breaded or fried. Or egg based breakfast items. Nothing wrong with going to McDonald's, getting scrambled eggs, a sausage patty. That's good stuff. Um, and if you do want to get some carbs, their Egg McMuffins have, it's made with an English muffin. Their Egg McMuffins have way fewer carbs than like a biscuit sandwich does or a bagel sandwich does. Or they have sandwiches made out of waffles or something. I don't know. But the basic standard 
egg McMuffin. If you're going to get a sandwich for breakfast, that's one of the lowest carb sandwiches you can get. What about a veggie bowl or stir fry? Uh, my daughter and I went to a pho restaurant not too long ago, and that's delicious. It's Vietnamese. It's P-H-O. I think it's pronounced pho, and oh, it's very good. And then finally, don't be afraid to ask for modifications. If you're at a restaurant, ask for a substitution. Worst they can say is no. You can just pick it off yourself if you want, but ask for substitutions. All right, don't forget, restaurants usually have nutritional information if you're curious as to what's in something that you are about to eat. Okay, so that's eating out. That's restaurants. Now, what about at home? Chicken lettuce wraps. I'm going to run through these pretty fast. Saute seasoned chicken with onions, garlic, and your favorite low-carb vegetables. You can serve that in lettuce leaves, and that is great. Cauliflower fried rice. So it's like making cauliflower, except you use, I'm sorry, it's like making rice, except you make it with cauliflower. Way low-carb just very good. You're eating vegetables at that point, so it's very good. Make a stir fry, add some soy sauce, and you're off to go. Add some shrimp to it, too. How about a Greek salad with grilled chicken? You got your cucumbers, tomatoes, onions, olives, feta cheese. Top it with grilled chicken breast and drizzle a little bit of olive oil, maybe some lemon juice. That'll be good. Do you know what a zoodle is? How about a zucchini noodles with pesto and grilled shrimp? You can spiralize the zucchini, and it almost looks like spaghetti. And again, maybe you don't want that every day, but once in a while, heck, give it a try. Turkey lettuce wrap tacos. So make a taco. Instead of using a taco shell, use a big lettuce leaf, maybe a romaine leaf. Ground up and brown some turkey. Add your taco seasonings, tomatoes, avocado, a little bit of cheese. Oh, it's good stuff. So I'm going to run through these last few here. Cabbage stir-fry. You get the idea. Salmon avocado salad. I don't know why I said salmon. I usually say salmon. But anyway, you get the idea. Salmon avocado salad. Egg salad lettuce wraps. Now I'm going to tell you, my wife makes some fabulous egg salad. And I'm not exactly what all she puts, sure what she puts in it, but she makes really good tuna salad and really good egg salad. And... Usually when I have egg salad, I just eat it out of the bowl. It's that good. But the suggestion here is to, again, wrap it in lettuce. You can use lettuce wraps for a lot of substitutions where you would use a bun or things like that. And finally, what about tuna salad, stuffed avocado? So get canned tuna, right? Mix it with mayonnaise, celery, a little bit of lemon juice, however you normally make it. But then scoop that tuna salad into halved avocados, now that's got to be better than avocado toast, right? That's got to be good. So anyway, anyway, 10 ideas. Candy, you asked a couple weeks ago, hey, what are some thoughts? So here's 10 ideas for eating out at a fast food joint, and then also 10 ideas for experimenting at home. Having said all that, on a cold winter day, there's nothing wrong with a good beef stew or a good chili. That's what we go to. We really love those. We usually have something in the crock pot a couple times a week especially during the winter. Hopefully that was helpful to you. All right, let's take a look at your questions. Son of a gun. We don't have any questions, but that's okay. We had a couple of great questions last time. Hopefully we got some good questions this time. Don't hesitate. 
feel free to write into the show. Let me know how it's going. Let me know how it's going with you. How's your journey going with this type 2 diabetes stuff? Or maybe you care for someone with type 2 diabetes. It's in your family, perhaps. But let me know. Go over to the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com, and click on Feedback. Just type in your information right there. If you have a question or a suggestion for a topic for the show, whatever it might be, easy to do. You can also just send me an email. My email address is tom at solvingtype2diabetes.com. Just zip me a quick email. Let me know how it's going. Let me know what you think about the podcast. Let me know if you would like to hear more or less of certain topics. And I'd be happy to work with you on that. Okay, so what is next? Coming up next time in two weeks, in addition to the news and talking about current events, the topic I would like to talk about with you next time is ideas for adding in body weight strength training without the need for equipment. So you might have a home gym, you might belong to a gym, but once in a while you might want to get in a little bit of a strength workout. You're not near your equipment or you don't have any equipment, So let's talk about some good ideas on how to get that done. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.